You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey everyone, I just wanted to give you all a quick warning. I was unable to record this week's episode with my microphone. I unfortunately was traveling this week and did not have my microphone. And uh, so I had my AirPods and my computer. Um, so the quality is not the greatest. I just wanted to let you all know in advance and apologize for any trouble that it may present. But you should be able to understand it all and uh, you should enjoy it. And most importantly, you will understand our guest. So um, yeah. It'll be great, and it'll be a great episode, and I can't wait for you all to listen, so thanks again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and this week we have such an exciting episode for all of you. Incredible guests this week, actually. I'm very uh, happy that we were able to to chat with him. It's someone that I've actually been trying to get on for quite some time. He has been casted in nine Broadway shows, and unfortunately, we didn't even get to talk about all of them because... I mean, we we didn't have enough time. Like, there, I I feel like I'm always running out of time with these these guests because I kind of just get lost in conversation with them. But it was such a great interview, nonetheless. And he's doing so many things. He's doing all the TV stuff. He's currently filming a TV show, a season three of a HBO Max show that we talk about. And then he's done movies. He's done producing. He's directing. He's performing on on all these things. It's none other than Telly Leung, who is an inspiration to all of Broadway performers, fans, everything in between. He is unbelievable, and our chat is just so, so fun, and I can't wait to bring it all to you. So before we do that, we got to talk about some Broadway news, because there's been a lot, I mean, not a lot, but there's been some some things to mention that uh, is definitely worth talking about. I do want to start off, unfortunately, I hate to start off with sad news, but uh, we did get the sad news that Broadway performer and MCC founding co-artistic director Bob Lapone passed away this past week following a three-year battle of pancreatic cancer. Um, for those of you who don't know, Robert Lapone is Patty Lapone's older brother, and he's been in a million Broadway shows, literally, uh, whether, like, performing, producing, all the things. He's he's done so much for this community and is a big, big name and light in this community, and it's so sad to hear that he passed away. MCC, he's the co-artistic director there, and uh, that was the theater that last week's guest, Samantha Polino, is currently about to open a brand new show in, Only Gold. So very sad to hear uh, my heart and thoughts and prayers, all the things go out to the Lapone family. And uh, yeah, just so sad to hear cancer. It's the worst. Anyways, now for some more positive news. The New York Post came out and said, this is, like, interesting, because right now there's, like, no actual announcement, and the Schubert Theater is still vacant, but the New York Post said that Alec Baldwin is going to be returning to Broadway 
and going to be in a brand new show called Art, and it's reportedly playing at the Schubert Theater. But uh, again, there's been no announcement, so I guess it's far in the process, but uh, it's nothing official yet. So I will keep you all posted on that. Again, these Broadway news that are breaking with these rumors, it's driving me crazy. Anyways, that's happening. I'm excited because, I mean, it's Alec Baldwin. I've worked with him before. He's a brilliant guy, a brilliant talent, and I'm interested to see how he would do on Broadway. And I think that his name alone will get a lot of people into Broadway and into a Broadway theater, just growing our community, which would be lovely. This cast is actually going to be stacked, so it's not just Alec Baldwin. There's going to be some other stars in the show, too. So very exciting stuff there. Moving on. The, the Okay, this isn't like the most interesting thing for, for a Broadway fan, but to a Broadway performer, this is definitely something worth noting. Uh, the Music Man held a benefit performance for the Entertainment Community Fund, and it, it gave a special performance on August 28th that was kind of dedicated for Broadway performers, and it was like a show that was only happening during that time like there was only that show happening it wasn't like it was a regular broadway scheduled show where it's like a two and eight on a saturday or um or whatever it didn't like conflict with the other schedule so for those performing on broadway right now uh they were able to go see the show and if anyone saw photos of the show and of like the weekend you saw that andrew keenan bolger was there you saw that eva noblezada and reeve carney was there you saw that bernadette peter and joel gray was there you saw all of these incredible broadway people and that's because they were able to hold this benefit performance where you know they allowed the uh, people within the broadway community go see the show at a time that does not conflict with their schedule. So very exciting stuff. Shout out to Music Man. I wish that more shows would do this. Unfortunately, those shows aren't usually open to the public and it's more of like an invite-only type thing. But it's definitely worth noting and hopefully more shows do the same because I, I talked to like Telly Leon, right? And we didn't get to Aladdin, but I mean, it, it, it was Aladdin. Like we had to talk about it. He's the longest running Aladdin on Broadway. But unfortunately, we didn't get to it. But we've had conversation with people that played Aladdin before. We talked to Adam Jacob and everything. So if you're interested in Aladdin talk, you can go listen to those episodes. But unfortunately, like during the episode today, I was like, oh, well, I didn't get to see that show because I was in like Neverland or Pippin. And, you know, it was because they didn't have opportunities like this where you could like have a special performance for the other shows on Broadway so that they can consume theater as well um, after performing each shows a week. So, anyways, I thought it was worth noting. I thought it was so cool to see all of those stars in the same room and uh, something worth noting. So, now I'm going to end this little segment on some Broadway, like, I guess, like, tea or, like, gossip. I don't know. But uh, it, it, it involves Funny Girl. And I know that that interests you all already because there's already a bunch of tea with the Leah Michelle going in next week, which is crazy uh, that she's going into the show next week. And uh, she was told by the producers that a legendary song in the show, My Man, is going to be put back into the show for her run. Well, now they tested it out on Julie Benko. Uh, and they tested it out in the show because it wasn't in the show for Beanie. It's this long song. The show is already long. And so this song, like, literally makes the first act an hour and 45 minutes, which is so long. So they were testing it out. The producers 
apparently, like, now they're saying, like, they're going back and forth on it. After promising Leah that she was going to be able to perform it and they were going to put it back in the show with her, they were going to write it back in, they were going to write a scene, they were going to write the song, all of the things, they were going to make it work. Well, now they're like, oh, maybe we should have put it in, I don't know if it works, all of these things. And so there's some diva this going on from Leah Michelle, um, where she's, like, kind of upset, and rightfully so. Like, she was promised something that, you know, she now may not get, and uh, it's, it's crazy to hear. It's crazy, because, like, it's like, you know, you're in a Broadway show, you're going to be fine, perform uh, Don't Rain on My Parade, and just, like, sing your heart out. But, yeah, so I, I just thought that that was worth noting. Keep an eye on the Funny Girl news because there's always some things going on with that show, <laughs> and it's always entertaining, and it's always tea. So uh, check it out. But, uh, yeah, apparently, like, it wasn't, like, anything against Julie Benko uh, of, like, her performance of the song, and she is excited that she was going to be able to sing it because it was in the original, but they didn't write it in for the revival. But, yeah, now they're saying, like, oh, they don't know if it's going to work. And Leah Michelle is, like... Oh no, why why now? Because I was told that I was gonna be able to perform it. But yeah, anyways, that's what's going on and uh thought it was interesting. So that's all the news I have for you folks this week with a little bit of gossip. So without further ado, I think it's time to turn it over to Telly Leung because we have a great chat, a wonderful, wonderful chat, and you can learn so many things in this interview, so I'm just gonna turn it over to him. So without further ado, Telly Leung curtain up. This week's guest has one of the most well-rounded resumes in the entire entertainment industry. From performer to director to producer, I mean, you name it. He has 20 years of experience performing on Broadway. He's been casted in nine Broadway shows. Everyone, join me in welcoming to Take a Bow, Kelly Leung. Hi. I'm good. How are you? I'm so well. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, so the way I usually like to, to start these fun episodes is by asking each guest, I guess, that I have on, what kind of inspired you to tell stories and kind of get in the entertainment industry and be a performer? Yeah, I think I always loved theater, and I always say I I think I blame Julie Andrews for my love of <laughs> musicals because it was always... Sound of Music and Mary Poppins that was showing yes. during the you know during the holiday season for free on TV, and so I I sort of blame Julie Andrews in a lot of ways, but um but I don't I don't know if I actually thought that this was something that I could do for a living mm-hmm. until I until I sort of saw people that looked like me like win Tony Awards you know like I remember watching the Tony Awards and watching Leia Salonga win a Tony. And that, I don't know if even at that age I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. But I think that was certainly the first inkling of going, oh, that's somebody who looks like me, who is doing this, who has now just won a Tony Award. So, you know, I think, I think that probably made a huge difference. I don't think I would know the significance of that till much later, till I got older. But, yeah, I think that was sort of the first time that I – that that I, I I was sort of like oh gosh like this is an actual thing I can do and of course then you know seeing Miss Saigon I think was a big mm-hmm. deal for me because it was a cast full of Asian people that was something that I had not seen in Broadway shows 
in my first couple of Broadway shows that I saw. I saw Cats. That was my right. first Broadway show. But, like, somebody's oh a cat. So, like, you can't really tell who's under all that cat makeup, right? And then I saw Crazy for You. And Crazy for You, there, I think there was, like, one person of color on stage. Oh, yeah. So I just, you know, I, 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 in my brain, I just thought, oh, there's, there's probably not a place for me. This isn't something that's for people who look and sound like me. And then it was really seeing Miss Saigon and also seeing Rent, where I sort of saw, like, the diversity of of the city that I grew up in. I grew up in New York, and it was the first time that I looked up at a Broadway stage, and I said, oh, I, uh, that looks like the, that looks like my home. That looks like where I grew up. That looks like New York, and I'm a New Yorker, so maybe I, maybe I can do this. And that was right around, like, the original cast of Rent came out when I was in high school. So really, like, those very impressionable high school years of, like, doing high school musical theater, cutting class to go buy the double disc <laughs> CD of the Rent cast recording. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that, it was a very impressionable time. So, for sure, like, I think probably those were the contributing factors. And was it, like, always, like, musical theater? Was it kind of like, oh, TV and film could possibly be a thing? Because I know you dabble in that, too. I do. You know, it's interesting. I... I, it's weird. Whenever I do TV and film, and I'm, and I'm right now in, I'm talking to you in Cape Town while I'm shooting a TV yeah. show for HBO, what's so wild is I always feel like a theater person. Mm-hmm. I think it's because that was my first love was musicals, yeah. you know, ever since Cats, seeing Cats, but also really like seeing Into the Woods on great performances, you know, seeing, being a rent head and like seeing rent a bazillion times the summer of 97 when like I would like sleep on 41st Street at five in the morning to get a ticket, you know, like, I mean, I was that kid. I was that kid that like slept outside for my $20 ticket and waited for the box office to open at 10 a.m., you know? So I, I, I feel like a theater person at heart. And even when I'm, even when I'm here, like now working on a TV show, I have slight imposter syndrome sometimes. Of like, am I really? Do I do this? And of course, you're like you. you yes, you go. Yes, I've been hired to do this. I, I get hired to do this. Like this is what I do. But as a little kid, I don't think I ever went. Oh, I want to be on TV. That wasn't right. a thing for me. Um, yeah. And and it really wasn't until adulthood when they go. Okay, well. Kelly, you're not always going to be singing and dancing and on Broadway. Like, you have to find other ways to make a living. Other, You know, when your Broadway show opens and closes, like, what do you do? Sometimes there isn't another Broadway show waiting for you. Most often there is not, actually. So you right. have to find other ways that your artistry is going to feed you, literally feed you, put food on the table, and feed your soul. Yeah, for sure. I, I love the fact that you were such, like, it's always better when the, the performers on Broadway and everything are legit theater fans. Like, you know, like, they appreciate it more. They, like, they love it. They love it. And I, I, feel, like, I, I, love it. I, I feel like I'm a fan first. And, and yes, now that I've been doing this for 20 years, I was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. And maybe I can do other things besides act, like direct and produce and whatever. But, like, I, I also, like, still get geeked out when – you know, the house lights go to half, the house lights go out, the overture starts. Like, I still, still, to this day, and you would think that I'd be, like, old and jaded and be like, all right. But, like, I don't. Like, I still get just as excited sitting in a theater. The show I saw right before I came to Cape Town 
where I'm shooting the show right now with Strange Loop. And I remember that same anticipation of like, I know the show just won a Tony. This is the last show I'm going to see before I fly to South Africa for four months. Like, I'm so excited. Like, that is the same sort of excitement you get when you're like, I'm sitting in the front row of the Needlelander Theater. I just slept like from 5 a.m. out on the street on 41st Street to get this ticket. I'm so excited to see the show. Like, it's the same. It's still the same. Now, can I tell you something? Because, like, I... It, that shows. That shows. Like, the fact that, like, what you're saying as a as a fan and just, like, someone in the theater community, like, it shows because you are always someone whose name pops up when it comes to, like, Broadway events or Broadway giving back or something. Like, you are, you are always, I feel like, at the forefront of those and educating the next generation of Broadway and all those things. Like, you are someone who's always, like, your name is just on that list and you're, you're somehow involved. So I think it shows and I think that uh, what you do kind of outside of your performing and what you do in, in every day to just, like, improve the industry in a way and, like, help the industry and support the industry – is just uh, it really inspiring for like then someone like me who is like a, a younger person in the industry and I guess you could say like the next generation you know like it really gives us a, a great role model to look up to and I uh, I thank you for for that. Well, that's really sweet of you to say that. You are the next generation, and I am I am so uh, in in many ways I'm so blown away by your generation and your um. I don't know, and maybe it was because we all went through a pandemic where everything stopped, not just our industry, yeah. but, like, the world stopped, that your generation is going, okay, well, we stopped. Like, we stopped running around on our hamster wheels. So, like, if we're going to start this hamster wheel again, how do we do it better? Like, how do we do it kinder and smarter? And I feel like you, your generation, is at the forefront of that and pushing the rest of us, the rest of us who are willing to listen, the rest of us who are willing to like change, like you're pushing the rest of us to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like these, this younger generation has it going on. Like they, they went through this pause just like we did. And, but they're coming back wanting to, do things in a different way, whereas, you know, somebody like me, I'm 42, like, my muscle memory, my dancer muscle memory is going to say, like, I want it to be the way it was. Well, it never will be the way it was ever again, and in many ways, it shouldn't be the way it was, yeah. you know? So it's a it's a golden opportunity and a golden, I don't know, it's ripe for possibility for all of us to sort of rethink how we come back, but it's, it is your generation. That's like teaching us things. So I thank you for saying that, like, I inspire you, but actually, you know, I, I love to teach and I love working with younger theater artists and talking to younger theater artists for this reason, because I feel like every time I do it, I get something out of it. Like, I, I feel like just when you think you're so old that you can't learn anything new, you learn it from, from <laughs> you. I learn it from you all. So thank you for that. Hey, we'll take it. Um, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> but no, you but you talk about, you know, kind of coming back better and stronger and all these things and I feel like in those conversations the the most uh, important thing that we need to improve on and that we can still grow in is the representation in the theater. Um, you talked about it, like going to see Red and, and what that did for you. Someone who is inspiring to me and um, like what you do outside of Broadway and as a performer, like how is it to feel that like you are able to do that for a whole community with the AAPI community? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if I ever sought to be that person, to, like, represent an entire community. I think that, um, I think I had to quickly learn that, you know, I could, I could view who I am, and that is all of me, right? Like, my ethnicity, my skin color, my age, my sexual orientation, the fact that I'm gay, like, all of those things, I can either view those things as things that hold me back, right, from this business, or things that propel me forward. There's no changing that about who I am. You know, there's no, all the things I've listed above are not things I can, like, change about myself, right? So all I can really do is go, okay, well, I I, I can't change those things. If I could change those things, if I was a different age, ethnicity, sexual orientation, maybe I would get other employment opportunities or or, or other things coming to me, but that's not who I am. Like, that's not... Right. the life I was given. So I, I, I've chosen to see them as assets and I've chosen to see them as, as like things that make me unique and special. And, um, and I have to say like, that is something I don't know if that was something that was as celebrated when I was your age. You know, really? I think that like, I think that there was an idea when I was coming up and when I was training in theater and, you know, of going, you have to be a certain height and look a certain way, be a certain yeah. race, whatever that is, leading men or only blonde-haired, blue-eyed princes, right? Like, all of that, the, the ideas of that, leading ladies only look and sound like this. But I think, if anything, that's changed a lot. You know, our definition of what those things are have changed a lot just by the sheer, just because it, it changes. That's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to do that. It's supposed to evolve. It's supposed to change. It's supposed to challenge our ideas of what the world is so that we go, why not? Do you mean? Why not this? Why can't, why can't a leading man or a leading lady look like this? Why can't this role be cast with people of a different age or a different gender? Why does it always have to be done this way? Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I... I've just, I've always seen, I've always seen myself as somebody who's had to do that for myself. And now that I am in a position where I've done this for a while and I do get to interact with a lot of young artists who want to do this, I encourage the same. Because for me, it's worked for me. But also, in reality, I don't know if I could have done it any other way. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think that that was sort of just the way that I was able to find myself. As, as sometimes people say, well, did you ever feel like limited in this business? Did yeah. you ever feel, right? And I go, actually, like, I, I guess I could have felt limited. I could have spent mm-hmm. that time and energy and emotional energy to feel like, why didn't I get this part because of all these things I can't control? But I just never, I, I just chose to do it the other way, which was to just choose to see all of those things that other people might think are restrictive in this business as assets. They, they're just totally. who I am, you know? And so now I, I just encourage, now that I'm, now that I get to teach and I get to direct and I get to produce and I get to cast things, like, I go, yes, like, I want to, I want to practice what I preach, you know? Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that, like, why does it always have to be played this way? Like, my favorite thing to do when I go see theater is, like, something like Company, where it's, like, it was revived, and the role played by a man wasn't played by a man. Like, it was played by a woman, and it, it, the story was still told, and, and maybe even improved. Um, and, and it's, like, the same way with, like, why does it have to be a white person? Like, why does it have to be, like, it's it's so cool to see the, the, the diversity that we are now kind of, easing into, I would say, because it's still, we have a lot of ways to go, but uh, easing into on Broadway for sure. Yeah, you know, the thing is, I think, like, for the theater fans and us, we go, of course, why not? Like, right. why not this person? Like, why not go see a company that's been gender flipped? And, like, the one I'm the most excited about, I cannot wait to see Lilius White oh <laughs> replace Andre de Shields in 80s. Like, but I think it's upon us to go, oh, like, I can't wait to buy a ticket to see that. Yes. Because when we buy a ticket to see that, then those people that are producing, those people that are looking at the grosses every week go, guess what? Like, we cast Lilius White in Town, and the ticket sales went like this because everybody, we surprised them. We were giving them something they never thought they'd see. We're like, people want to come back to the show that maybe they've seen before, and now they want to come back, you know? So... I, I'm, I don't know, I think that that's, I think it works both, I think the way that we're going to get to that is that we actually have to, like, support the shows that do that, right? Like, we have to go out and spend the money on, like, I'm going to go and spend the money on a ticket to Haiti Sound, even though I've seen it twice, <laughs> I, because I want to encourage producers to think like that when they recast the show. You know? Right. It's totally like you said. Our money is our vote. I mean, truly. It's, in this industry, that's exactly what it is, especially as like a theater fan who we all are and those listening. Um, you mentioned your training earlier. Um, your training is kind of, I mean, of course, what led you to Broadway, but in a very uh, unique way of like a Broadway legend steering you to a Broadway audition. Uh, tell me about how you got your Broadway debut in the Flower Drum Song. Yeah, I uh, went to Carnegie Mellon University yeah. in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a wonderful musical theater program. Um, it also is uh, its the, actually the oldest degree in drama in the country, in the United States. Really? It's the, yeah. Wow. It's the, it's the first year, it's the first, like, college university program to, like, give a degree in theater. Um, and, and their musical theater program started in, I think it was 1980, 1981. Rob Marshall was in the first musical theater class of, of Carnegie Mellon. Um, yeah. And they've produced incredible alums since then, right? Like, there was a generation of people, there was like, there was like the, the Billy Porter, Michael McElroy, you know, generation. And, you know, then there was the, like, Sutton Foster, Christian Borrell, Patrick Wilson. And then I was sort of there, like, I was there with, like, Megan Hilty and Leslie Odom and Griffin oh Matthews and um, Josh Gad and um, Gregory Trico and, like, uh, incredible people, right? Like, so uh, it was... Um, I was there. It was. It's, it's a great school. Uh, and yeah. my senior year, we were going to do Company as my senior thesis show. And Billy Porter wanted to come back and do some sort of directing project because everybody had known him as an actor. Nobody knew him as 
somebody who sat behind the table, even though Billy, as we all know now, is, is a great director and a wonderful writer he, he, and a great producer. Like, he wears many hats, right? Um, yeah. but, but he wanted to stretch himself, and he was like, where can I do – where can I – try my hand at directing and do it in a safe space. So he came back to his hometown, Pittsburgh, and he went back to his alma mater, Carnegie Mellon. And I was cast as Bobby and company. Now, when, when Billy graduated college in 1991, he graduated college and he went right into the original Broadway cast of Miss Saigon. And when you do Miss Saigon, Miss Saigon ran on Broadway for um, over a decade. When you do Miss Saigon, you sort of are um, initiated into this very – lovely, tight-knit group of Broadway Asian actors. There aren't very many of us, but we are a tight-knit group, and we love each other, and we support each other. Um, and when you do Miss Saigon, it doesn't matter what race you are, actually. Like, you, you get inducted into the, like, Broadway Asian family, right? Because we're, we're spending so many hours at the Broadway theater together. So, anyway, he one of his dear friends was the dance captain of Miss Saigon back in the day, uh, Mark Oka. Mark Oka was going to be the associate choreographer and dance captain on the 2002 revival of Flower Drum Song, a, a, uh, a show that Billy Porter saw out of town. It ran at the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles at the Mark Taper Forum. He saw that production and says, it's an amazing production. It's coming to Broadway. And guess what? I have like three Asian kids in my cast of company uh, at Carnegie Mellon that have no agents, no anything, but they need to be seen for this show because it's going to open the fall after they graduate. So he, he basically goes, he, he picks up the phone, he calls Mark Oka, and he says, you need to see my students. And he, we get on a Greyhound bus after tech, rehearsals of company. He was like, you're playing Bobby, you can't miss any scenes, or you can't miss school. So you have to like finish tech at midnight, take, take the Greyhound bus at midnight. We got off the bus at like 9 in the morning. Yeah. And, like, we went straight to, like, Ripley Greer, and I was at my first Broadway dance audition. And it was a submissions-only audition. So, like, most of the people, everybody else there had, like, agents or were, like, right. had a Broadway credit. They did Miss Saigon. They did The King and I on Broadway. Like, whatever that was. So, like, here we were, the, the three college kids who just got off a bus. And um, and it was, it was you know, a, a day of, like, the jazz combinations and cuts, ballet combination cuts. Then we get to, they go, well, we're going to keep a couple of people to sing. And I see Mark Oka whispering to um, Bobby Longbottom, the director, ne- uh, next to him. And Bobby Longbottom goes, hey, I, I, hear you're, I hear you're doing company right now with Billy Porter. I go, yeah, I, I, that's, what, that's what I'm doing in college. He goes, great, sing Being Alive. Do you have Being Alive in your book? And I was like, sure. Yeah, I was like, it, I just sang it last night at Tech. This is like the easiest thing I could do, is sing Being Alive. So that was my audition. Was singing oh, being alive, and you booked it, and and that was my first Broadway show, and so I took the Greyhound bus back to Pittsburgh. Now this is before people had cell phones. This is before you know. Oh, yeah. So like I I took the bus back and I saw Billy and Billy goes, how did you how did you do? And I went, I did, I think I did good. I I kept for the jazz combination. I made the ballet combination. They asked me to sing and read, and I sang being alive. And he was like, I know how you did. I got a phone call about you. <laughs> Already, oh, so he already he already got a phone call from Mark saying he's gonna do he did really well and we're gonna call him back for a final callback in the late yeah. summer uh, and and I said listen Billy if I get the show I said I you know I know I only get twenty five words in my playbill but thank you Billy Porter are gonna be on my playbill oh, for sure and on my first playbill on Broadway you see it's like a teeny tiny bio for like you know ensemble member number five right. <laughs> who's an understudy but 
my the last four words say thank you Billy Porter because oh, I you know he has he has done that repeatedly for people yeah. especially his Carnegie Mellon students you know he I I know for a fact he has picked up the phone and gotten you know auditions or has encouraged you know the, the Leslie Odoms the Patina Millers like all of those mm-hmm. folks that he had that he had taught when he when he worked there you know um, right he's he's been such a champion for people I remember when like Billy won a Tony. You know, and like when he won the Tony, I think there was a collective like jumping up and down of like so many people in New York City because I'm I'm one of many stories of Billy doing that for people, Mm -hmm. you know. Absolutely. I'm obsessed with this story, first of all, because I'm actually from Pittsburgh. That's where I'm from, and I started at the Pittsburgh CLO. Oh, my gosh. I didn't take the Greyhound to New York, but I had took the the Mega Bus first audition. I got it. It was a very popping story. It's so funny how, like, the worlds collide and CCLO and all things. Um, but love it. So I wanted to ask you, like, in reflecting on what, what Billy did for you in a way, I guess, is that why, like, is that in a way why you feel that kind of giving back inspiration? Is that kind of where you get the whole, I want to give back to the next generation, I want to give back to Broadway, I want to give back like to that sort of thing? I think Billy is one of many amazing teachers that have changed yeah. my life. So, you know, Billy is certainly one of them, but I, I, I have to give it up for all of those incredible professors at Carnegie Mellon. Um, you know, one, one of them, Claudia Banach, she teaches voice still at Carnegie Mellon, and she, you know, in some ways, like, she became a surrogate mom, when I was, like, uh, like away from home studying. In fact, like, I remember my senior year, I actually got her a Mother's Day gift. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, because her office just became everybody's, like, and you can ask everybody who's been a student of hers, they'll say the same thing. You know, they'll go, Claudia yeah. Vanak was, like, my mom away from mom during the four years of college. Um, and, and then, you know, even in high school, I had incredible, incredible teachers. I went to a math and science high school, and, like, the, the chorus teacher was somebody yeah. in such an academic place was somebody who encouraged my musical talents, you know, um, uh, her name is Holly Hall. Uh, Julie Scheinman was my acting teacher there. She, she was an English teacher that taught an, an acting elective and she coached the oh. speech and debate team. She like would volunteer her time to like coach me in my Carnegie Mellon monologues, you know, like oh. I, I never did a Shakespeare monologue until I met Julie Scheinman. And then, you know, there were the teachers that like volunteered their time like after school, like Vinnie Grosso, may, may he rest in peace, he taught mechanical drafting and AV, he taught an AV class, well, you know, like film editing, but like he would volunteer his time after school so that all of us could like put on a show and paint sets and build, like sew costumes, do you know what I mean? Like he didn't get paid for that, like he he volunteered to do that, to baby, basically babysit us while we made a show. But it, <laughs> those were such formative years of my life this is it's probably the reason why i do it so billy is one of many amazing teachers um yeah and, and for each teacher i've ever had there's always like a lifelong lesson that i take away either as a human being or as an artist you know like billy the best the best lesson billy ever taught me was about acting, actually. And when you spend four years at Carnegie Mellon, you're taught, like, voice and speech, movement, elocution, all of these things, accents and dialects, how to, how to stand properly, how to speak properly, all of those things. And then Billy was like, guess what? You're, you study four years to pick up all of those techniques to, to then throw it away. So just mm-hmm. talk and listen. Just talk and listen yeah. is you. And I and it was wonderful to work on company. And co- he was like, companies are contemporary. It's not Shakespeare. It's not Chekhov. Like this is not heightened text. You, I, I need you to speak as you and not act. And it was actually a really 
freeing. And I always say now to my students, I go, listen, acting is the easiest thing in the world because it's just talking and listening. And it's also the hardest thing in the world because it is so hard <laughs> for us to just talk and just listen, you know? Right. Um, yeah. But, but he, he had a huge influence on me for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm curious. So the the next person I want to bring up, because you did company at Carnegie Mellon, and he's another Broadway legend, you got the opportunity to work with Stephen Sondheim <laughs> in Pacific Overtures. Yeah. Um, in, in that Broadway revival, just a couple of years after you made your Broadway debut. I mean, what was it like to be in the, in a room with him, like the legendary Sondheim? Yeah. Yeah, there's a great... Um, I remember the first day, well, first of all, my audition for, my audition process for that show, they had cast that show almost a year in advance because it was in the roundabout season. They knew that they needed an all-Asian company. That was at that time still pretty hard to find an all-Asian company that could do all of those things, right, that could sing, dance, act, do Sondheim, all of those things. So they, they had a very extensive search process. I was cast almost a year before um, the rehearsal started. So I, I remembered like my first audition was for Paul Gimignani, which is mm. also nerve wracking in itself yeah. because here is Stephen Sondheim's right hand man, you know, music director, legendary music director. And I dusted off that being alive. And I, that's what I sang again for my audition. Oh my and, God, um, and I remember like, I, I sort of got a good feeling from Paul. Paul was like, you sound great. He's like, I'm going to give you a, a, a tip. He's like, you know, don't give, don't sing, don't really sing until the last chorus. He's like, you can speak the whole first couple of verses, the bridge, you can start to sing a little bit, but don't give me anything fortissimo until the last. Don't really sing to that last one. Save it. You know, and it was it was a really good note. And I remember saying, oh my gosh, thank thank you so much for the. I said to him, thank you so much for the in room audition coaching. And he turns around and he goes, you'll get a, you'll get a bill in the mail from me. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, I like you. Like, you're, you have a yeah. good sense of humor. You know what I mean? Because he, he, he used that sense of humor to, like, break the ice, basically, which was sure. awesome. Um, and then my final callback was for Stephen Sondheim. And I remembered, like, we had to sing material from the show, and I had to sing There Is No Other Way. And it was, I, I started singing, and, there's, and there was no other way. There's, like, a section that is really long, like, legato lines. It was like, the bird sings the wind sighs. This is a lot of, like, long, spinny vibrato. So I started singing this long, like, the bird sings the wind. And he goes, stop, 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 stop. And I was like, oh, no, he just stopped me in the middle. Like, did I mess it up? Like, did I not? Like, he was like, sound, I don't need to hear anything more. It sounds great. It's gorgeous. Oh and he literally stopped me in the middle because for him, he was like, I got it. I could hear it within the first five bars. I don't need the 16. I don't need the 32 bars. Like, I heard it. Great. So he, like, stopped me in the middle, which was, at first, I was like, oh, gosh, I, I must have terrifying. terrifying when Stephen Sondheim yeah. said, stop, stop. You know, like, but, but, he, but also, like, I also was like, if I don't get this job, I'm just going to put, it's gorgeous, Stephen Sondheim, on the top of my resume. Like, it's, it's going to go, like, it's gorgeous, in quotes, Stephen Sondheim, Tyler Leal, Actors' Equity, like, my phone number. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, that's, that's, a, I'm good. I'm good. You can still do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, like, working on, you know, I, in that show, I had to sing um, Someone in a Tree, which many people, which he has said is one of his favorite 
songs. Um, and in some ways, like, Someone in a Tree is very much like, you can sort of watch the lineage of, like, Someone in a Tree is, like, Room Where It Happens from Hamilton. It's, like, <laughs> this, like, cubist painting of, like, you know, this boy in the tree who only sees it but can't hear it, like the, the samurai underneath who can hear everything that's happening but can't see it, and all of these characters singing in this meta space complete the picture of this memory. Um, and it's one of, he has said, it's one of the, his favorite things he's ever written. And I remember working on it, and I had to play a little 10-year-old boy. And the way that I did it, there was a lot, of, I had a lot of like, I was like just a, a really like, rambunctious little 10-year-old kid that, like, laughed at everything. <laughs> like, and oftentimes I would laugh, and I remembered um, he taught, a really, taught me a really great lesson. He would go, Kelly, you can laugh here. Don't laugh here. Don't laugh here. She's like, and he would often listen to rehearsals with his eyes closed, and you could tell, like, he was like, I purposely wrote rests there for a reason. You know, I purposely wrote no, no music happening, no singing happening here, it was it's purposeful that space yeah. for and the audience to like get it to not hear anything to digest what they've heard and and it taught me such a great lesson about you know the silences and the pauses and the rests are just as important and for somebody like right. Stephen Sondheim they are just as purposeful and as and and need to be valued as heavily as his really smart lyrics like mm-hmm. where there's no lyric and it's just underscoring is purposeful. Um, yeah. It was it was a great it was a really really great lesson. He he is also one of those people that is so specific about that. And yet for the revival, he you know Paul Giamagnani would often pick up his cell phone and go, "Do you not like this key? Let me call Steve. Let me change it. Let me like let me see if it's okay to change." And like oftentimes, like Stephen's time would go, "Yeah, whatever key you want it in, I don't care." Really fascinating. There, there were some things that he was so specific about, and then there were some yeah. things where he goes, "It's for the sake of this moment and for the sake of the actor. Do what's comfortable for the actor." Um, mm-hmm. And so, as me being 24 years old, I just thought, "Oh, Stephen Sondheim, this is like the Bible. Like we're not allowed right. to change this, right? <laughs> it's like the music theater, like right." But it's not for him. He was like, "No, it's I'm still making theater, and if we're gonna again, if we're gonna do it again, like let's yeah. do it in a way that's." better and kinder and and really works for everybody involved right so um it was you know it was really fun to work on that show with him for sure yeah i mean i feel like walking into a room like as a as a theater kid as a theater student like just being having the chance to even meet him like would have been like just absolutely insane so i I can't imagine what it was like to be able to be in a room with him and really like perform his piece for him like i can't imagine walking into the audition and like singing a sondheim song for sondheim like it would be like crazy he i I could tell he really loved that show i could tell he and paul gemignani and john wyden really like had a soft spot in their heart for that show because often sondheim would bring like friends to come see it and like he had house seats we all knew where Steve's house seats were and there was and I remember like be like oh Steve's here again he's with Hal Prince tonight or like oh Steve's here and like one night we were like Steve's here and there's just like red hair and you're like Bernadette Peters is here (laughs) I remembered like Steve and Bernadette were the last two people to leave the house. They sat in the house and they talked about. I think I, I assume they caught up or they talked about the play, and I and I remembered being like, 
I don't want to leave out the stage door. I want to see if I can, like, meet Bernadette Peters. Right. So, so there were, like, three of us that, like, didn't walk out the stage door, but we walked back out into the house. We peeked our head around the curtain. And we were like, is that – and then we slowly, as Bernadette and, and Steve were, like, walking out – he he noticed like three <laughs> three Asian actors like slowly creeping up behind, and he's so sweet. He was like, uh, uh, "Hi, would you like to meet Bernadette Peters?" Like he was so nice about knowing how starstruck we were. <laughs> that's so sweet. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, it's so cool. And it's cool to hear that, like, you know, the human aspect of it. Yeah. You know, this is that he was, like, a genuinely nice guy, cared about his performers. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I want to talk to you about Rent, because you mentioned that, like, you know, that was one of those shows that really, like, transformed you, you know? That was yeah. one of the shows that you saw, and you were just like, oh, my God, maybe I can do this. And you waited in line for, for the $20 tickets <laughs> and everything. And it's hilarious, because now you've been in, like, a bajillion productions of the show um so talk to me about like what it's like from going i mean you are a theater fan and you've done it all but like just being a theater fan and that show specifically and how much that show means to you then to be able to perform it both on broadway on tour at the hollywood bowl like all these things talk to me about it i've always said if rent was still running at the needlelander i'd still be there i'd still be doing it like i'd still be doing the show because i never got tired of doing the show and I never, I always, I, I, I genuinely love all the people that are in that Rent family. We still very much keep in touch. We, even if we don't talk all the time, we pick up exactly where we leave off. We continue to support one another. It's actually a very tight knit family, a family, a tight knit group of people. Um, the, when we closed on Broadway in 2008, the amazing Crystal Huntington, who is the, one of the original stage managers from the New York Theater Workshop, she did a whole spreadsheet of every track in the show. So she was, I was Steve and others. So it showed the chrono, chronology of Gilles Chasson was Steve and others in the original cast from this date to this date. Then it went like who, all the actors that assumed that track, if people left and came back, like, who, oh. who, like, was there for vacation, like, and then it ended with me. 
So, like, you yes. could see the chronology, and when you looked at it, you were like, oh, there hasn't been that many people in these. Really? If you consider that the show ran for 13 years, why? And you looked at the list, and you were like, those people that, like, they stayed. They stayed in the show because yeah. they loved doing it, and they loved the people that were in the building. It was hard to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the show gave me great joy every night. I felt like I, that was one of those shows that I could find something new every night doing it, for sure. So, so when you go do this show at the Hollywood Bowl, that <laughs> after you've already done it on Broadway and on tour, and I mean, the Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl production is like insane. Directed by Neil Patrick Harris, Vanessa Hudgens started it, Skylar Addison, Wayne Brady, like all these, like you, uh, all these incredible people were in it. Um, you're a veteran of the show. Like, what what is that experience like for you? Is it like learning still because you have new scene partners? What is that? What is that? Yeah, the, the being a veteran of the show was actually purposeful because Neil Patrick Harris had all of ten days to direct the show. Oh, really? Now, he knew that he wanted. He definitely wanted new people to be brought into the Rent family, especially yeah. because it's the Hollywood Bowl. They have to have some sort of Hollywood cachet, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he knew he wanted people that had never worked on the show before to be able to work on it, um, on this particular version of it. So he purposely said, I'm going to like have Skylar and Vanessa, who are new to the show, be Mark and Mimi. But Aaron Tveit was always he was always his first job I think was in the non equity tour of Rent covering Mark yeah. and Roger. So like <laughs> so like Aaron was there to be like, Hey guys, like he was the shorthand. Wow. Like Tracy Toms who had done every single version of Rent ever, right? Like she was the one Nicole was, was with Nicole Scherzinger who'd never done Rent. And Wayne, same thing, Wayne Brady, never done Rent. Um, Wayne, Wayne was also very busy shooting Let's Make a Deal. So oh. Neil was like, I need somebody who's going to be, like, with Wayne that's, like, solid, knows the show really well. So he purposely sort of designed the the duos and the couples to all be folks that had, like, that had, that had never done it and then folks that knew the show in and out. Um, and it ended up being useful for the for the rehearsal process of it all. But the Hollywood Bowl is like a dream, a, for sure, a, a dream. Like it's a wild, it's a wild experience to perform there. You know, we had to make cuts for the show because the Hollywood Bowl has a curfew. I don't know if you know this, but oh. the people that live around the Hollywood Bowl, like, have said, oh, like nothing can go past eleven. So we had to make certain little cuts here and there to like shorten the show to fit the intermission in, all of that. Um, nobody really felt, nobody, you can't really feel the cuts. Like, Neil did a great job with it, with, with Tim Weil, who's the original music supervisor, made some really smart cuts into it. But, um, but yeah, it was, um, it was a wild experience and a great, and a great company. A while, it was, and it's, oh, it was only a weekend. It was three days, you know? Right. I mean, you can't beat that, right? Yeah. Jamal Sims was a choreographer. That was really fun to work with. Like, Jamal Sims, incredible. You know, we see him on RuPaul's Drag Race all the time now. (laughs) But, like, he he was a wonderful choreographer to work with on the show. And for Neil, I think it meant a lot for him to do it because he's in the Red family. He was Mark on the first national, you know, so he knew the show in and out, and it had a really special place for him. You know, so, um, so yeah, it was, it was, I, I was really, I felt really lucky to be able to be a part of it. Yeah, and it's cool, too, because, like, it's a testament, again, of, like, 
you know, Neil can bring these people back, but it has to be those people that have to say, yes, I want to do the show again. Of like, you know, they really don't want to leave that show. You know, so many people came back to to be able to perform it again, even if it was just for a weekend. You know, yeah, uh, that's so cool. I'm gonna get a chance to um, direct the show next year. I'm no doing way. it. I'm doing it at uh, UC Irvine. I'm going to be directing it, and my choreographer from Allegiance, Andrew Palermo, is going to be choreographing it. And oh. it's, it's a university production at UC Irvine. But, um, again, like, you know, directing is new for me, so I, I try to find safe spaces for me to take risks and stretch myself as an artist and as a director. And so um, I said, you know what, like, I'm, I'm still new at this, um, but I, I definitely want to be able to, like, discover the show again with these students and also like give them my experience from the show too and like um and and i'm I'm very excited to be able to like reimagine the show a little bit for a 2022 audience with with people you know with people who are 20 21 you know yeah yeah Oh my god, I want to go see it. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that'd be so cool. Uh, you just talked about Allegiance. I mean, that's I know that's a show that means a lot to you. But I want to ask you about that. I mean, similar to like uh, Sondheim, like performing his work and everything. Like George Takei, I, he lived this story. He lived it. So like, I can't imagine what it was like to to be able to go into a room with him and really. Uh, be his team partner as he like relived these experiences and maybe even like you talk to him as like research for the role and uh, your story and everything what was the act? yeah he you know it, it was inspired by his life it was also inspired by so many of the the unheard stories uh, and, and the stories that we we still don't you know that are still not widely known about the Japanese American internment um, yeah. I think when it's a part of American history that a lot of people don't know about, maybe more people know about it now because of Allegiance and because of George, because of his work talking about it, right? Um, but um, but I think that for many of the Japanese Americans that had family that lived it, there was a certain amount of like shame and also a desire to like move on from it. Yeah. So when when the internment ended, a lot of those people a lot of those people that were interned were like, we're moving on, we're not talking about that time. So some of those stories were even lost or buried, buried in an effort, in an effort because I, either they felt ashamed of the experience or they wanted, or they just wanted to be able to go, that was three, four years of my life that, I'm, that we're not going to get back, that were really dark, and we're going to like move on and on to the next, right? So for pure survival, people wanted to move on. Um, right. And... And so for that reason, a lot of those stories are lost. And yet it's this chapter of American history that we can learn so much from. You know, it's one of the few times in America Reagan actually, like, gave an an official apology from the American government. It it happened in the 80s. I mean, it was about 40 years too late. But, like, you know, it was – it's – it's one of those things that is, you know, it's a flaw. It was, it was something we did that was an egregious mistake and an egregious infringement on, on Americans' rights. Absolutely. And we should and can learn from it. Um, mm-hmm. so, so for George, this has always been something that has been really important to him, making sure that this story gets out. You know, I, ever since I – mean, he was interned when he was a little kid. Yeah. And ever since he was a little kid, he – he and his family have been treated like second-class citizens, and he has always said that his work, being somebody who, you know, stands up and fights for LGBTQ rights, stands for AAPI rights, like, it all stems from that. It actually stems from that experience of him and his family feeling like 
they were in a country that said liberty and justice for all, that that's the promise of this country, and yet that's not how they were treated. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that he's always sort of fought for equality because of that. You know, and I think doing the show and working on the show, and we developed the show from like I I was attached to it from 2009 till we opened on Broadway in 2015, and wow. so um, working on the show and having so many great conversations with him about that story, about the impact of that story, about how hard it is to tell that story, you know, what it costs mm-hmm. to tell that story, what it, right. what what that event that event actually like we do in the show that event actually did break up families. You know, like, uh, so it was, um, it was important for us to get it right, you know, and I think with George, with George, we, I I, I felt really good about getting it right. Yeah. I mean, that cast of George and Leah and you and like, it's incredible. I can't, I'm so mad that I didn't get to see it, but I actually did, for those of you listening, uh, if you didn't get to see it on Broadway, I did get to see it on Broadway HD, which is still available on it. So it's 100% worth the watch. It's like... It's it's a lot. It, it like you have to prepare for it, but it's incredible. I mean, thank goodness for Broadway HD. Facts. Oh Cause my the, god. Because the show only ran four months on Broadway, and listen, I was very proud of. I was proud of like the show and how it did. You know, it opened the same season as Hamilton. The only two shows to survive that season were Hamilton and Waitress. Like everything else closed that season. <laughs> so like, um, so of course, like it, it, it was a, it, and always like from the very beginning. You know, I remember when Leia and I first worked on the show. It was like we said, oh, I don't know, a musical about the Japanese American internment. Like this is going to be. It's not something that screams. Broadway hit like musical, but it doesn't mean it's not important to tell the story. And, you know, it's just it, it's just it's it's not something that people go okay. Like we're gonna do the the music of this this rock star's catalog. You're like okay, great. Like there's a built-in fan base for that. Like this is a tough subject matter, right? right. So we always walked into it going, gosh, like we could run four days, four weeks, four months. Who knows? Four years. Let's right. just make the most out of it, you know, that, that the people that do get to see it, um, let's, let's try to give them a story that they've not heard, let's move them, let's, let's hope that they see our show and that they exit the theater seeing the world differently. And I'm so glad that our producer, yeah. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Tioni, was like, listen, we're, we only ran four months on Broadway, but let's film it and make sure that future generations, like, you know, can, can watch the show, can hear this story. And I love, I'm getting all of these folks that say, I watched it in musical theater history class, but I'm also getting all these folks that are saying, we watched it in American history class. Like, unrelated to theater, they're watching Allegiance to learn about World War II and the Japanese-American internment. I was like, great. That's, That's we did our job. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because I feel like I maybe learned about it for, like, not even, like, a half day, you know, in history class. Like, you know, it's one of those things that now I've had to, like, in my later years, look up, you know, to learn about or watch it through Allegiance. Like, it's crazy. Like, Well, well it was also brought up by, you know, with, with Donald Trump recently being president right. and him suggesting that we go back to the time of rounding people up and putting them in internment camps. You're like, wait a minute, like... We did that already. Like we, we we're not doing that again. Like, do you know what I mean? So you know, I think it's it's sort of gained a different um, relevance politically in our world outside of theater. Totally, totally. I don't want to keep you too long, so I do want to talk to you about 
your current show that you're talking about. I mean, we, could, we haven't even talked about Aladdin and Transit, <laughs> all the things. Uh, but your resume is just incredible, and your experience is – your brain is like, I, I just want to talk to you all day. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but currently, you mentioned that you're, you're filming a TV series uh, for HBO Max. It's called Warrior. What are you allowed to, to talk about? Again? Yes, Warrior is a show that takes place in the late 1800s um, in San Francisco. It's sort of at the at the height of um, of uh, there was a lot of Irish immigration there, and also a lot of Chinese immigrants had settled in 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 San Francisco Chinatown. So the the series takes place San Francisco Chinatown late 1800s, um, and I play a nomadic Chinese singer who travels the world singing my singing for my supper, and I happen to land in San Francisco singing gigs. I know. It's, I, 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 I remembered, like, this was one of those auditions. I, I did a self-tape for this audition, and I remembered reading the description, which was, like, gay Chinese singer who travels the world singing for his supper. I said, that's me. That is me. That is basically what I do is I pack my bags, I get on a plane, Where's the where's the gig? When is sound check? Let's do the concert, right? Like that is like that's so it's it's interesting. I was like I I read the character description. And I said, oh, this is very much me. No acting required. Um, yeah. And so I was thrilled that I I was thrilled that um, they said, hey, they cast me, and we are now here filming for um, in Cape Town, South Africa, for four months. And I've never been to South Africa. Um, it's been it's a beautiful place. Cape Town is a gorgeous place. Um, with it's a beautiful place with a very complex and complicated history, so it's been it's been fascinating to be here um, and to work with incredible. Uh, the cast is from all over the world. Like it's a global show. So some of the we have incredible actors from Canada and Indonesia and Hong Kong and uh, local Cape Town actors. A lot of UK actors. It's Australians. You know, it's it's such a wonderful international company. It's it's been a joy to work on it. Oh my god, so cool! And and by the way, for those listening, if you aren't already watching, there are two seasons out. Uh, so he's going to be in season three, which is so exciting. So uh, go go check that out on HBO Max. It's, it's brilliant. Um, one last question for you. I I, I want to ask you, uh, and I'll let you go. After being in this industry for so long, I what is like your biggest takeaway that you've learned about the industry itself, like from a performance, a business, whatever kind of perspective that you want to look at it from. And like, I guess it's kind of like a, what did you wish like CMU Kelly knew? Yeah. I, um, for me in my twenties, all I wanted to do was perform. All I wanted to do was like get on a stage, perform, you know, I think we all have those dreams of like, I want to sing and dance on Broadway. And that dream happened for me really quick. You know, it, it happened right when I, thanks to Billy Porter, I graduated college and like, I, I went right into a Broadway show. My Broadway show then opened and closed four months later and I was pounding pavement like trying to find my next show. And I, and over the, over the years, of course, like your twenties, I spent so much of my twenties just like going show to show to show and just wanted to perform more and more. And as I did that in my twenties, more and more, whether that was on Broadway or regionally or television, whatever that was like, I, I realized in my thirties, Oh gosh, what is, what keeps me doing this? Because it's hard. This is hard to do. Like, you know, I always say to 
my students, like, you know, you read my playbill and you go, oh my gosh, Telly's had such a, an incredible career. Look at all the credits. I go, yeah, but for every credit, there's a hundred jobs I didn't get because nobody writes in a playbill bio all the jobs that they auditioned for that they didn't get and how many hours they feel disappointed by all of those things and how you have to like keep going actually till the next thing comes along. Right. So like, I was like, what in my thirties when I was like, do I quit? Like, what do I do? Like, do I keep doing this? I, I said, what's keeping me in it? It's the people. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's, it's being, and I think back to like why I did it and why I started doing it in high school in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it was because I realized that going to rehearsals for my musical after school, the thing I wasn't getting a grade in, the thing that like Vinnie Grasso, who taught drafting, was volunteering his time <laughs> to like allow us to do, it was my safe space. It was my tribe. It was where, it was the one place where everybody's welcome. Do you mean like, and you don't have to have talent to work in theater. Like you just have to have the will to be there and the will to work with other people. So like you can't sing and dance. Great. Pick up a paintbrush, go paint that set. But you're part of something bigger than you. You're part of something that wouldn't have existed if these people don't come together. And I realized in my 30s, I was, and, and now into my 40s, I go, that's why we do this. Because the theater is, is a microcosm for the way that the world can be. If we all sort of like got together and picked up a paintbrush and painted a set and treated the world like we did after school theater, it, the world would be a better place. Right. And sort of being a part of that, whatever, whatever part that is, whether it's I continue to act, I continue to perform, or I direct, or I produce, and I bring those people together, or I teach the next generation, whatever that is, if I can contribute to this art form, I believe this art form will create better people. Yes, I really do. I really think that, like, the people that do theater, there is something we understand about humanity and collaboration, what it is to talk and listen and work with other people that is the magic sauce and the solution to this world being a better place. Absolutely. I cannot agree with you more. That's it's amazing. I mean, truly. I mean, the way that artists just work in general, I feel like they just have such a their their mind in a way is like a canvas like it's an open canvas and we paint it along the way through our experiences that we grow up in and uh i can agree with you more like we're i feel like we're open-minded more we're definitely more inclusive um and uh, yeah and all that so Telly, I, I can't thank you enough for, for lending me your time and your your wonderful knowledge about the industry and your career. Talking to you about your career is absolutely fascinating, and so I know people are going to enjoy it. So thank you so much for this. Eli, thank you for this. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Take about Telly Leung. Oh, my God. Just listening to him and listening to his experience of working with Sondheim and working with you know, all these incredible people like Billy Porter and these Broadway legends that had had such an impact on his career and the way that he likes to give back to the next generation of Broadway folks and performers and all the things. Like, it's just so cool. And just to see what he does for the Broadway community from a fan perspective, he really takes the time out to give some advice and uh, kind of be there. Like I said, he's always at Broadway Con. He's always at these events. He's always at the Schubert Alley events with Broadway Barks or Broadway flea market or any of those things he's there so it's just really cool to to see him giving back and it's so cool to see 
all of his success in the industry that he's had. And now he's, you know, kind of going into the directing round and all the things. He said he would definitely continue performing and all the things. I mean, as you heard, if Rent came back to Broadway, he'd be in it tomorrow. So um, if, if they casted him, of course. So uh, it's just great to talk to him about it all and to really learn about, you know, kind of get an inside scoop of Sondheim and get an inside scoop of Billy Porter. And yeah, it's just, it's really cool to hear. And I hope that you enjoyed those stories. I hope you enjoyed his insight of like the college audition process and what it's like to go to a performing arts theater and the advice that Billy Porter gave him. Like he shared his advice that kind of changed his life and his career. So hopefully you all really took that in and can uh, use that in, in your career and your everyday life. So yeah, that's this week's episode of Take a Bow. 118 is in the book. And uh, yeah, I can't thank you all for listening and I hope to see you next week. Bye everyone. Have a great week. For this episode's curtain call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Fields, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Petty Kokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PPC, as well as all the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash tab and if you enjoyed this week's episode don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on also feel free to give us a follow on instagram at take about podcast take about logo is designed by giselle bustos and the music is by nikki torsha and Cormac colonon bye everyone hope to see you next week Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.